Hey listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. We all love to eat. Well, I would like to tell you about my friends at the Rib Shack Barbecue on West Bay Drive in downtown Largo. Their menu offers family-sized takeout dinners like delicious ribs, chicken, beef, and pork, or sit-down barbecue dinners, sandwiches, and even desserts. They will also cater your party. Everything is barbecued fresh using real oak for that great smoky flavor. So visit my friend, Corey, at the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, West Bay Drive, or call them for a takeout order at 727-501-9090. That's 727-501-9090. They truly have the best smoking barbecue in town. Oh, and be sure and check out their great barbecue sauce. That's the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 727-501-9090. I'm telling Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars sent you. You may be owed some money. After 911 and 411, call 541. That's 727-541-1741. Call Gulfstream Motorsports for a diminished value report. Due to my 28 years experience in the auto salvage business, I'm very good with wrecks. So if your car has been involved in a wreck, call me for a diminished value report. Call 727-541-1741. You may be owed some money for the lost value of your repaired vehicle. And visit us at GulfstreamMotorsports.com. Every crime has a, a personality, a something like the mind that planned it. Now, this one has. Oh, that's clever. Very clever. Hello. Vicki Anderson, Mr. Crown. I investigate. Anything in particular? Thank Mr. Crown. The caper, sir. I am legend. There she is. How much did they actually get? $2,660,527.62. Jamie, we don't know who they are, where they are, or what they did with the money. What a funny, dirty little line. It's a funny, dirty little job. He doesn't know if I do have something. 350. 350. Thank you very much. Now I have $500. And uh, whose head are you after? Yours. Mine. <laughs> don't test me. You lied to me. I'd like you to meet Thomas Crown, Mr. Crown. Lieutenant Eddie Malone. Criminal investigation. But I'm here for the money, okay? Go. Boy, show me your feet. Keep your hands on that book. everything he wants to make a deal all right then where is it you know what you are i know what i am and now hey rocky watch me pull a rabbit out of my hat Nothing up my sleeve. Presto! No doubt about it. I gotta get another hat. Now here's something we hope you'll really like. Hi, everybody. It's Derek Bell, the five-time Le Mans winner, three-time Daytona 24-hour winner, two-time world sports car champion. You're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars.
you know that I'm loving you In a god of the feet of Hey listeners, welcome to a brand new show called Nostalgic Radio and Cars. I'm your host Robert, and for the next hour, we will be playing some really groovy 60s, 70s music, talking about some far-out cars, and I'll bring you up to speed on some bitchin' car shows, swap meets, and vintage racing. So sit back, buckle up, and enjoy the ride. (laughs) Okay, we are live! Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the 10-year anniversary show, and I've got, uh, yay, <laughs> 10 years, 10 years. That was the intro on our very first show. <laughs> yes, it was. Hey, bub, how you doing? Pretty good. How about you? I was, I was I was listening then, too, and I, I'm talking now. Do you remember that? Yep. Yeah. Tommy, how you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. Happy anniversary. Thank, thank you, you, thank you, thank you. You know, it's funny because... Uh, this is how this deal went down. I was supposed to do the show, I believe, on a Tuesday. Then I chickened out and was supposed to do it on a Wednesday. Then Dave yeah. told me I had to do it on a Thursday. Thursday yeah. And then I was supposed to do it at 4 o'clock. Lee was the board op back in the day. I ain't there in Dade City there. Hey, right. Lee. Hey, hey, Lee, you're out there in Dade City if you're listening. And uh, Lee was sitting going, look, you got to do something here. You know, you're me, you know I'll, I'll put it off for another hour because they were just doing programming back then. Right. There was no shows, right? right? So it gets to be 6 o'clock, and I'm still nervous. I'm still writing the show. I'm trying to figure out what to do, you know. Then it gets almost to 7 o'clock. Lee's sitting in the studio over there where Tommy is right now. He looks over at me. I'm sitting over by the table, and he goes, hey, look, man, you got to poo-poo or get off the potty here, one of the two, you know, so... <laughs> I said, man, I'm just really, really nervous. He says, look, you're just sitting in the studio. You're all by yourself. You're staring at me, looking through a glass. And look, you got four million people listening to you. So what could go wrong, you know? And I go, well, yeah. And he said, not only that, you got another few billion listening on the Internet. So, you know, and whoever's hanging out on the moon. And uh, so, I mean, I really was. I was timid. And I didn't have – I really didn't understand a lot about, you know, uh, inflection – uh, you know, I wanted to make it not boring, but I wanted to be kind of serious. And, of course, you know, if you listen to the original show, I did say something about, you know, the essence of the show was, you know, it's about the music. And it really yes. was for me. Yes. And Lee's comment was, hey, look, anybody can be a disc jockey. You know, you know about cars, talk about cars, talk about cars, and get some guests on the show, and on and on and on and on. So we did the first show, and the first show was May 13th. On a 2010, Thursday, yep, on 2010. A Thursday. So it'll actually be tomorrow at 7 o'clock will yeah, be the actual yeah. anniversary. Right, yeah, so we're a day early. But yeah. at any rate, but it was fun. And, and like I said, if you'd asked me back then if I'd be sitting here 10 years later, had no idea. I didn't know where the show was going to go. I wasn't quite sure. Um, but how the show really get, gain, gained traction was is I started to have some local people on and had some people I knew that were car people. And then they were doing a vintage race at uh, at uh, Sebring, mm-hmm. and I was invited to go to that, which I typically go to. But they asked me if I was willing to interview Bobby Rahal, and I said absolutely. So Bobby Rahal was our really our first big guest. Mm-hmm. But while I was down there at that show at that event, I met Bill Warner, mm-hmm. and I met Eddie Lapine, and I met a whole bunch of guys that were car guys. Let's see, Tom Yeager was down there, and I wish we could have gotten him on the show. Um, Brian, I think Brian Redman was there, and um, a lot of the, you know, uh, uh, Vic uh, Alfred was there. People that ultimately end up coming on our show. And uh, so when I met Bill Warner, you know, I was talking to him a little bit, and we started talking a little bit about uh, his racing because he was racing the Triumph TR6 at the time, and he had one of the Group 44 cars. If you go to our very first 
podcast picture, there's a picture of me sitting on a white TR6 with a green stripe across the front, kind of like a mock-up, a play on the Group 44 Bob Tullius uh, TR6. How coincidental. I played Le Mans, or, yeah, the beginning of Le Mans, and I kind of edited that. No, excuse me, the Thomas Crown Affair. And reason being because Le Mans comes on, and I got a little clip coming on from, from Steve McQueen here in a few minutes uh, for the intro for Le Mans, which, by the way, ladies and gentlemen, has been postponed, uh, not canceled, but postponed, I think, until September. Yeah. Indy was also postponed, I believe, mm-hmm. until August. Mm-hmm. Um, although the Monterey events all have been canceled for this year, which is sad, uh, I just got a, a note from SEMA. SEMA's going on as scheduled in November. So hopefully by August, you know, July, August, we'll have kind of a clearer picture of what's going on. A lot of stuff to be over with. But anyway, so to give you an idea, I I always tie the shows in. So with the guests. So, for example, when I met Bill Warner there, we started talking a little bit. He was racing his TR6 at the time. And he told me he was the chairman and founder of Amelia Island and invited me to come to the show uh, in March. Okay, And I'd already been going since 97. I didn't go to the first year because I think it conflicted with a vintage race back in the day. So I went to the second one, and I went with actually Chris at Lincoln Land, and we I flew up there and we rode back in his 63 or 64 Lincoln. So big shout out to Chris at Lincoln Land. And uh, so Bill Warner was very, once I met Bill, and I went to Amelia Island, but I, once I was kind of like, I attained the media status, I was able to get access to, you know, personalities and stuff like that. And Bill was very, very helpful and very, very instrumental in helping me get significant people on our show. We had Johnny Rutherford on the show. We had Dan Gritty on the show, Sam Posey on the show. All these people I met in Amelia Island. I cannot say enough about Amelia Island. It is the premier automotive event in the country. It really, truly is. It's right here in our backyard. It's at, in, in, in Jacksonville or north of Jacksonville, Amelia Island. And it's an amazing event. The thing I like about it, granted, you know, California, the real estate, Monterey, the whole nine yards, it's huge. But... Bill's got a handle on this, and the people that he shows up, plus his background. He was a race car driver. He was a photographer. He was a writer. I mean, he's an absolutely outstanding man. He's actually got stuff on web, on Facebook going on there right now, and he, he puts up these old pictures from way back when, and I'm, I'm mesmerized by those because they're really, really cool because I'm a vintage car guy, and I've been going to the races since the late 70s. But growing up in Northern California, I was riding a lot of race cars, and we weren't too far from Sears Point, Lisbon, Seca. And so race cars were kind of like a common thing, especially sports cars, and I gravitated to sports cars and sports car racing. Even though when I first got my driver's license, my first car was a Healy, and then after that, I went ahead and uh, my next car was uh, with the 57 Thunderbird, which I still have, and then my, my Ranchero, which I ended up getting really hooked on street racing, drag racing. So I like road racing and drag racing. Those are my three things, you know. And um, But anyway, so we got a real exciting for show tonight. Mm-hmm. Um, now I can speak with enthusiasm, with experience. Oh, look at that. With, yeah, you know, and I mean, big shout out to uh, uh, Mike Flynn. He's listening tonight. Thanks, mm-hmm. Mike, for the congratulations. Mm-hmm. A whole bunch of other people did. Uh, Hollywood Wheels, big shout out to them, Kelly and uh, Flo and everybody and Hook. Um, just a great bunch of guys. Yeah. We had some good times. We did, yeah, we did the auctions up there at Amelia Island, and uh, you know we'll be doing some stuff in the future. And you know, a car, the car culture mm-hmm. is a family, is a community. And you know, like when you go to Amelia Island, it's a reunion. When you go to Monterey, it's a reunion. When you go to SEMA, it's a reunion. When you go to Scottsdale, it's a reunion. So you know, all these car guys, we have our little. Sure, we have our little cliques, and you know, we're Ford guys, Chevy guys, Mopar guys, we're sports guys, sports car guys, Porsche guys, Jaguar guys, Ferrari guys. But we all have the one thing in common, which is we're all car guys. And we want to see the hobby continue. We want to proli- you know, see it go on and on and on and on and on and on and on. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and we want people of your generation to come mm-hmm. in. Unfortunately, you know, you were influenced by me. You drive cars. And uh, the very first car that you drove, actually the first vehicle you drove was, what, 
the excursion or was it the rollback? Yeah, excursion. I think it was the excursion. Yeah, yeah big diesel excursion. We had. The very first car you drove was the was the Porsche, mm-hmm. and it was a stick shift. So mm-hmm. the first car you learned, you first learned to drive stick shift when mm-hmm. you were twelve years old. No, mm-hmm. eleven years, twelve, somewhere, eleven, yeah. twelve, something like that. Church parking lot. Yeah, in the church parking lot, which is exactly a Saint Jerome's over here in, in uh, Seminole, which is or was it Largo? That's South Largo. So yeah, South Largo. And, that's and then you bought him a big wheel. Then I bought him a big wheel. <laughs> yeah, I bought him a big wheel. And a big steering wheel. And uh, big nardy. And then, uh, which my mom actually did the same thing to me. My mom would act, we had a 68 Chevy Impala back then. And, I, and uh, what my mom would do is she would slide over to the door, and then I would slide over next to her in the middle. And I would she would control the pedals because I couldn't reach them yet. And I would drive around in the church parking lot over there at St. Pat's and St. Jerome's and some of the shopping centers and stuff like that. And, you know, that's, well, I was hooked on cars to begin with, but, you know, you were influenced by it. So now you're that way and you drive this money penny around and the Ranchero and the Rat Turd, the Camaro and the truck and uh, all kinds of cool cars. So that's cool. So anyway, uh, we got a real exciting show for you tonight, yeah. and I think what we're going to do. Anything you want to say, Bobby? I was just going to say thanks to the sponsors. That have yeah, so let's that, go. That, thanks I mean, to our sponsor for almost a whole run. Uh, I would say at least over six, seven, eight years. Um, nine now. years. Nine years now. Yeah, yep, nine, years. Right, nine years. Nine years. Big shout out that. to yep. Rib Shack. Rib Shack Barbecue. Four twenty six. Yes. Get this. Four twenty six West Bay Drive. Some of the best barbecue in Pinellas County. No no doubt. Oh, yes. Absolutely. And be sure to and mention Nostalgic Radio and Cars and they'll get a free drink with your meal. Yes. Right? Yes, and they are doing t- uh, takeout 25% uh, capacity, so uh, stop on by and you're only 18 feet away from the best smoking barbecue in Largo and Pinellas County. In Pinellas County, And yeah. Florida. <laughs> right. And then FLACarshows.com, you got something yes, you want to yes. say? Yes, three, three, I want to say years. I'll double check that. But yes, uh, thanks for uh, hanging in there with us. Uh, you know, it's been a perfect perfect little uh, match together there oh, having yeah. car shows because we talk about car shows and we needed a segment, um, you know, to talk about what's going on. And we didn't know what was going on. So until we finally found, well, I mean, we knew about the website long before that. But... The website has really helped us, uh, you know, inform our listeners on what what's going on out there in the uh, the car world. So FLA Car Shows is the place to be for that. So. Right now, what we're going to do, Tommy's going to fire up the first song, and it's "Badge" by Cream, which is one of the first <laughs> songs we played on our. Well, besides "In the Gotta Beat" and besides uh, "Break On Through," yeah, yeah but it I mean, was the badge, first ba- break song. The first break song was actually "Badge," so we're going to play uh, Cream for a little badge, and then uh, do a commercial. And we'll be right back. Mm-hmm. You're tuned into Nostalgic Radio Cars, the 10 year anniversary show. Don't miss it. We'll be right back. Tell your friends. Tune in.
Come enjoy the best brews in Tampa Bay at Dunedin Brewery. Known as Florida's oldest microbrewery, they are always working to create a unique variety of craft beers for every taste. In addition, Dunedin Brewery features a full menu, including everything from their famous wings, burgers, salads, flatbreads, and more. Don't forget about their live music, including the Wednesday Night Players Jam. That's Dunedin Brewery, 937 Douglas Avenue in downtown Dunedin. Visit them online at dunedinbrewery.com. Looking for car shows? Then look no further than FLACarshows.com. On your computer or on your mobile device, FLACarshows.com is a comprehensive list of automotive events plus videos and news articles. Whether you're looking for car shows, cruise-ins, meetups, automotive festivals, cars and coffees, or anything else relating to an internal combustion engine, then this is a site for you. Check it out online or on your phone at FLACarshows.com. Okay, we're back, and you're tuned into Nostalgia Getting Cars, and we're celebrating our 10-year anniversary right here in downtown Clearwater, sparkling downtown Clearwater, I might add. And, you know, it's been some beautiful weather lately here, too. <laughs> Tommy, I think what we're going to do is we're going to go ahead and uh, queue up uh, the next uh, round of goodies here because we're going to get our guests on the show here in a minute. You know, the other song that we played, I think, on the original song was Spin Out. Now, you just did a commercial yeah. for, oh, for yeah. the brewery. For, uh, uh, no, com. Was it? Is that the one, one that has been out? Okay. Yep. And then, uh, oh, we got Bill no. Warner. Um, anyway, <laughs> well, anyway, so go ahead and call our guest real quick. Hey, this stuff happened on the first show, yeah. too. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, but we played Spit Out, and so here we are. But anyway, hey, you're tuning into Nostalgia Green Cars, and uh, um, we'll have our special guest here in a minute. And as soon as Tommy cues up uh, the exciting favorite song. Favorite music. Yeah, our yeah, favorite music. Anyway, um, we. Well, here. Okay, I don't know. Uh, I'm just, start. I'm just kind of like. Uh, uh, well, what do we gotta say? You know, it's been some great weather lately. Um, car shows. You know, it's interesting. There hasn't really been any car shows, but I still see a lot of people out driving around, and that's what's cool. I see guys on motorcycles. I see guys on cars. I see guys uh, having a good time. Now, I don't think there's any races or anything like that going on anytime soon. But you know, it's kind of funny. In fact, when we were up there in. Uh, um, uh, you're trying uh, to go to break. <laughs> okay. Well, so much for the break. But anything. Okay. All right. So here's what we're going to do. We're just, uh, it's that time to introduce our special guest for the evening. And I'm delighted to welcome to the show this evening, the founder and chairman of the best car show, Car Event, in the United States, and a really good friend of mine, and I'm very thankful to be good friends with him, is Bill Warner. Bill Warner, how are you doing tonight? Hey, Robert. I'm doing fine. It's beautiful here in Jacksonville. Too pretty to stay indoors, I can tell you that. We were just talking about that. We were just talking about how pretty it is up there in Amelia Island and how spectacular your event's been. And uh, I've been going there since 1997 was the first time. Well, you got the second show. Yeah, <laughs> I got the second show. Yeah, that's amazing. Oh. Now, let me ask you this. When you first did your show, and again, congratulations, because you just came off a 25-year... 25 25-year. 25th year anniversary, right, right. And yeah. this, this is our 10-year uh, anniversary show, so I'm delighted to have you on the show, and I think you're... Thanks. You're the guy. You're the guy. But you know, I was I was I was talking earlier and about you, and I was saying that lately you've been pretty active on Facebook, and that's what kind of got me really interested because, <laughs> well, all those pictures. What else am I going to do? <laughs> I've been going through fifty, sixty years of of archives, you know, and I figured, well, I might as well show some other folks some of the old stuff. Well, that's pretty amazing. Tell us about some of the pictures because you started out. Kind of like, besides a car guy, you, you somewhere along the way, you got involved in photography. So tell us a little bit about that yeah. and how it took you through the, that amazing journey. My, my older sister 
and she was senior to me by 13 years, was a portrait photographer. Okay. And she suggested to my parents in 1959 for Christmas that I was at the age in life I could appreciate a camera and would want to have one when I was in high school and going off to college. So they bought me a $46 uh, Yashica D, a roll film camera. And I'd always been around racing. I used to work for Al Sager Volkswagen here in Jacksonville. We had a race team. So I started shooting races. With. Didn't have any, it was a twin-lens reflex, so you didn't have any telephoto lenses. All you could get was what you could walk up to the wall and get. And uh, some of the photos I posted were from the 1959 uh, Daytona Regional Races with uh, Roger Pinsky and the Brumos Porsche RSK, Art Huttinger from Windermere in a boat car, uh, Bob Kingham and D-Jag. You know, a feature race back then was 12 cars. <laughs> wow. Maybe four biggies and the rest of them were like Heelys and Sprites and things like that. But that's the way it was, you know. When 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 you could back in the day was were were the drivers and the pits were they relatively accessible? I mean, was it easy to get into there? Do you have to have special yeah. credentials? Yeah, no, I you know I was fifteen, sixteen years old. I just walk up to the pit wall and start shooting. There weren't such thing as as pit passes or anything. And of course, the Daytona Speedway had just opened, and it uh, you know it had a press box that looked like what you'd see at a, uh, a high school. And uh, I think the front grandstand was about 10 rows high. Uh, I tell people it was back when the world was in black and white, not color. It was uh, it was pretty basic. And, uh, yeah, you could roam around the garages and do everything. It was it was pretty easy. Now, this is back when they, wasn't it called the Continental 200 or something like that? No, the, uh, the Continental was uh, after that. Oh, okay. This, this was before that. This was uh, 59. Uh, the inaugural race, I never made the inaugural race. That was... Uh, I think one by Carol Shelby, you know, four nine Ferrari. I okay. think he also won at New Smyrna. They used to race on the airport at New Smyrna before the, the speedway was open, so there was always racing in the area. But um, uh, when we when I worked for Al Sager Volkswagen as a sixteen year old uh, driving a parts truck, we'd go to places like Dunellen and uh, Vero, and uh, let's see where else they were. They they were a lot of old airport. Uh, airports that built during World War II, and they were abandoned. And, and the Sports Car Club of America would mark the course with uh, peach baskets or hay bales. That's the way they'd race. Now, Colonel LeMay um, was a general. General LeMay. General LeMay. Four-star general. I'm sorry, four-star. Okay, did you ever? Have Don't the call him a colonel. He'll chew that cigar in half. <laughs> did you ever get a chance to meet him? Uh, I talked to him on the phone. I did a story for uh, Vintage Motorsports' first ma- uh, issue. It was 25, no, it's got to be 35 years ago. Uh-huh. And, um, you know, he had a, a, a Cadillac-powered Allard that he used to race. In fact, that, that car's been at our show. And he, he uh, uh, they raced, raced at McDill, you know, and it, when it was Strategic Air Command. And it was to raise uh, money for the uh, uh, Widow and Orphans Fund of the U.S. Air Force. And LeMay loved racing. Um, sometimes he'd do things that would probably get him uh, in trouble today. He'd, uh, uh, when they needed engines for cars at Le Mans, the Strategic Air Command just happened to have a plane going in that area. <laughs> but uh, uh, he got his wrist slapped by some do-gooder senator or representative for utilizing Air Force assets for private racing, even though the money was going to a good cause. Uh, you know, 
I'm not wild about politicians, and they seem to stick their nose into places that uh, on a on a do good basis, which isn't necessarily doing good. When you uh, when you um, you were mentioned that there was a lot of uh, tracks or bases in in the state of Florida back then, and yeah. I was. Uh, which brings this other little thing to mind, because back in the day, when in the 70s, I used to kind of go to Orlando a lot because I had a lot of friends there. We'd had Because I was in the Shelby's, and we had a Shelby meet there. And we'd always hear these stories about these ex-race cars. And a guy told me, he says, if you're looking for race, ex-race cars, Robert, what you need to do is go, you know, because we're talking about, you know, how barn finds are a big deal. He says, you need to sit there, find the racetrack, drive a 40-mile radius of that racetrack, Seabing would be a good example, and uh, and Daytona, and some of these other, um, you know, peripheral tracks like these little abandoned um, airfields. He says you would be amazed at what you would be finding in barns. Through through the course of the years, you have stumbled on some amazing vehicles as a result of that. Tell us yeah, about funny, some of those cars. Funny you should mention Orlando because one of the biggest hordes of of uh, Ferraris was um, at one time in a stuffed in an old movie theater in Kissimmee, and it was later moved to a pole barn. Uh, no, it was in St. Cloud, and then they moved it uh, to a pole barn. The guy that owned it, uh, he'd been famous in Orlando, uh, Walter Medlin. They used to refer to him as uh, Orlando's Howard Hughes. And uh, I w- was fortunate enough to be let into the movie theater to see what he had. This was in the late 70s, early 80s. And he had a Ferrari P3, a P4, a Series 2 GTO, a California Spider, a 410 Super America. I mean, he just went on. And I had 14 cars stuff there. Now, um, is it true that that he had? He supposedly drove around with an old Ford pickup truck and a tailgate. Didn't say Ford. It was custom embossed and uh, said Ferrari. An old yellow Chevy pickup truck beat to death with a just a prancing horse decal on the tailgate. Oh, that's what it was. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. What are some of the other cars that? Uh, that you uh, have stumbled across. I mean, well, uh, I bought the Edsel Ford Speedster, the car that was built for Edsel Ford in '34, one of a kind, mm-hmm. a very Bugatti-looking car, uh, cycle fendered sports car. I found it in a garage in Deland. I found uh, the ex Denny Home Tourist Trophy-winning Brabham BT8 in a junkyard in Columbia, South Carolina. And two years later, I bought a Shelby King Cobra, the last one of those built out of the same junkyard. And then uh, three years later, I didn't get up there in time and missed uh, an Alfa Romeo 6C2300 engine chassis, uh, everything but the body. And let's see, what else have I found? A Lotus 11 here in a junkyard here that was an uh, ex-team car. How did Uh, these cars, did you ever do the story follow-up on them? How did some of those cars wind up there? Oh, like the Brabham BT8. uh, it started out with Team Elite, driven by Frank Gardner, and he drove it at Riverside and, and Laguna Seca and all over Europe. Then they sold it to Sid Taylor Racing, and Denny Holm drove it. He won the Tourist Trophy with it, was undefeated in under two-liter racing. And then it went. It raced in North, North Africa, the United States, and all over Europe. And then uh, uh, it was sold to a guy who I named, named Jeff Breckel, who owned an elevator company. And then it ended up at the Crocker Hill Garage in England. And uh, they went broke, and an engineer at Daniel Construction in Greenville got the car as a settlement on the bankruptcy, and he didn't want a race car. So uh, he traded it to the junkyard for a Volkswagen and a pickup truck, and I bought it from them for 2900 bucks. 
Oh, man. Oh, man. I raced that car for 12 years, restored it twice, and it just sold recently. It's in Japan now. Um, the King Cobra, uh, it was called the Lang Cooper, driven by Ed Leslie for Carroll Shelby. And then they sold it to Pappy Seiler in Ohio. No, it went to Skip Hudson and became the uh, Essex Wire car. It was on the same team with the GT40. They were running that car in USRRC and the GT40 in, in World Endurance Championship. Then it went to Pappy Seiler in Ohio. Then some guy bought it. He was going to make a street car out of it, and he sold it to the junkyard. And the guy at the junkyard figured he had a fish in me, so he, he sold me that car. And now it's in Switzerland. You, you mentioned the Essex Wire GT40. Isn't that the one that crashed at uh, 1965 at Sebring? Well, I don't know. I can't remember if it was an Essex Wire car. That was a McLean, I think. Uh, um, the, the, the gas filler was left loose, and when he braked for the... When he went to brake for the hairpin, the gas slashed forward, sloshed forward and over the car and ignited off the hot, hot calipers, and and he ran off the end of the hairpin, crashed, and uh, died in it. Now, there were several Essex Wire GT40s, though. Oh, okay. I think there were two or three. What, so when did you first... So you've been going to, let's say, like Daytona and Sebring probably since... Uh, since 59. 59, okay. How about Sebring? You got some memorable, memorable pictures of some of the cars that raced at Sebring? Uh, yeah, I, I first went there in uh, 59 and 60, mm-hmm. and then I went off to college. And uh, yeah, uh, you'd wait until nighttime when you could sneak over the Amico Bridge and get into the paddock area. But it was it was pretty accessible. Uh-huh. It, it wasn't like it is today. Um, uh, I, I remember there was a lack of toilet paper, kind of like there is now. <laughs> <laughs> You better bring your own. It was very crude, you know. That was, uh, uh, but it was it was international racing. It was kind of the only international racing in the whole United States, and uh, it was pretty dangerous back then. Uh, the year I was there, as uh, a guy got killed, and then uh, Austin Healy. They they didn't have roll bars in many of the cars, and uh, some guys wouldn't wear seat belts. They'd, They'd rather be thrown out than risk uh, burning up in a car. So it was it was dangerous. And it was crude. When you uh, this year at Amelia Island, Roger Penske was the uh, uh, guest of honor and yeah, the um, honoree. The honoree, exactly. When you saw him race back in the late fifties, early sixties, did you have an opportunity to talk to him then, or was he accessible back in those days? Uh, not that I remember. <clears throat> I first. Uh, did some work with him in 1971 mm-hmm. when I was doing a story for Road and Track. When he was driving for Brumos, he was 24 years old. And I think at that time he was a salesman for Alcoa Aluminum. And uh, uh, he had... Uh, uh, Brumos had another driver driving for him. He had a couple of drivers that drove for him. One was very good from Tampa named Joe Shepard. Uh, but they had another guy from Miami driving for him, and Roger just put him on the trailer. So Mr. B, Mr. Brundage, uh, decided he'd better hire him, and he, and he did, to, to drive the Brumos car. He drove it at Nassau, Daytona, uh, Sebring. Uh, I did by, the, not... by the way, there's a book coming out by Sean Cridlin on Brumos, and you'd be amazed how far back the Brumos lineage goes. I mean, it goes back to Indy cars and Duesenbergs and really? Curtis Wright. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's it's going to be an amazing book. 
Well, now this is Brundage is the gentleman that's that started uh, Mr. B. You referred to him yeah. as, uh-huh. and, but I thought it was like in the what, like around fifty four, fifty five, and that when Brumos or Brundage. Well, actually, he became the Volkswagen distributor. He they were in the hardware business in Miami, but they were into cars and race cars. Okay. And he had a chance to get Volkswagen, but Volkswagen said you got to move to Jacksonville, which is the port of entry, which he did. And he had distribution for all of the southeast for Volkswagen. Well, then he took on Porsche. And he had to have a separate dealership. But Volkswagen did not allow you to sell another foreign car in their dealership, although they had a close relationship with Porsche. So they were all sitting around one day trying to figure out the, the sales manager. I, mean, I don't know who did it. It was before my time. And uh, they were trying to decide what to call a place. Well, back in those days, you didn't have the Internet. You had telex machines. Right. And the telex code for Brundage Motors was B-R-U-M-O-S. So they suggested, well, let's call it. Brumos Porsche. And that's where that came from. And to, even today, there are people who will call, well, they, until they sold the place, they would call and ask for Mr. Brumos. Their close personal friends were with him in Vietnam or something like that. You know? <laughs> <laughs> there, there is no Mr. Brumos. <laughs> Dan Davis uh, kept the name when he sold the Brumos Porsche to the Fields Group. And now uh, they have the, the Brumos Collection, which is a fabulous fabulous. We don't like to call it a museum. It is a collection and a display that is second to none here in Jacksonville. Now tell us about that because okay, so let's go through the history now. So Brundage had it. When did How did Peter Gregg get involved in it? Uh, Peter was uh, an intelligence officer for the Navy okay. stationed here in Jacksonville and he had been into race. In fact, he, the first car he had was a Corvette and uh, uh, Mr. B uh, died in a, one Sunday morning. They don't know if he had a heart attack and fell off his motorcycle or if he had an accident with a motorcycle, but they found him by the side of the road. And Peter was, was getting ready to get out of the Navy, so he he was a man of wealth. And uh, so he bought the Brumos from, from the estate. Okay, that's how that came. And that was in the late 60s or was that in the 70s? Ooh. No, I was uh, 64, 65, somewhere around there. Oh, really? Okay. It was that early. I did not know that. Okay. Um, I'm, I'm doing it by the fact that Peter was driving a 63 Corvette then, so it was after that. I don't I don't know what year. The book will tell you. Okay. Because I know we had Hurley on the show a long time ago, and Hurley was telling me that he used to come down here, uh, and he was autocrossing, and he beat Peter Gregg. In his big sloppy big block Corvette, and Peter Gregg was so impressed, he says, "You know what? You got to come co-drive with me." And I yeah. guess the rest is history. So there's truth yeah, to that story. That's the way it happened. He, uh, uh, Hurley was originally from Chicago, right? Before he moved to Jacksonville, now he's in St. Augustine, and he had Nikki Chevrolet building a barnstorming Corvette. In fact, first time I ever saw Hurley, he came to Sebring uh-huh. with this Corvette with flares and side pipes, and it shook the ground. So it wasn't just a normal Corvette; it was. It was a Nikki Corvette. Well, and Nikki was involved in racing back in the day, too. They did drag they race, road race, a big name out of Chicago, yeah. yeah. Nikki with the N backwards. With the N, ba- with the K, backwards K. Backwards K, that's what it was. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. And something was backwards. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, okay, so then when you bought your first Porsche, which you, or your 911, which you still have, did you yeah. buy that from Brumos then, back in the day? <laughs> deal. I bought it from my friend Steve Beiser, who owned Northlake Porsche Audi in uh, uh, Atlanta, Georgia. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, but I bought a lot of cars from Brumo since then, so I made up for it. Are there still some original members of uh, 
of of Brumos back in the day, back when Mr. Bunyan still had the stuff. Uh, the sure, Jack Atkinson, who was a crew chief. Uh-huh. Uh huh. He worked on the RSK Spider that uh, and the RS sixty that uh, uh, Roger Pinsky drove. There's a guy in California. I don't know if you know him. His name's name Mark Mark. Mark, Mark Mertz, Dave Mertz, Dave Mertz. I don't know if that name rings a bell, but he's got a supposedly a late 50s, 356 that was a GS car, could have been a GS, uh, GT or something like that. But he found some paperwork in there that that car had raced at Sebring and Daytona back in the 50s, and it came from Brumos. Uh, Brumos had a two-liter Carrera that they ran at Daytona. I saw it run at uh, Walterboro, South Carolina, on uh-huh. the airport. And it was driven by Bill Binker and a guy named Bob Stoddard. Both of them had passed on. And it, it was painted uh, kind of a beige with a maroon stripe. Huh. Interesting. And um, it was a two-liter Carrera. Two- I, you know, and I don't know where that Maybe that's the car because that one's gone kind of um, missing. Hmm. Interesting. I'll have to f- do some follow up on that, and then maybe I'll get you involved in that. We can see if we can put the pieces of that oh, one yeah. together. Oh yeah. Be nice to have it. Re- I've got photos of it from back in the day. It'd be nice to see it restored as it looked when it was with Brumos. Interesting. All right. So then, when did Snodgrass get involved in in Brumos? Well, that was funny. Bob was working for Franklin D. Roosevelt Jr. and he was uh, and FDR Jr. was the Fiat distributor for the United States, and Bob was living here in Jacksonville. And setting up dealers like Bill Bryan in Orlando, and and um, a Fiat wasn't going anywhere. And uh, Bob had written a letter to the local newspaper. Uh, on um, the local writer did a hatchet job when Friday Hassler got killed at Daytona. Did a hatchet job on racing, and Bob wrote this very eloquent letter. So I just called him on the phone. I said I read your letter in the paper, and uh, I thought you hit the nail on the head, and um, it was a bad attack on racing. So we met up with each other, and one day he said to me, he says, you know Peter Gregg, don't you? I said, yeah. And he says, uh, I've been offered a job as general manager at Brumos. you think I should take it? I said, beat the heck out of selling Fiat. <laughs> <laughs> so he he, uh, he took the job and uh, ended up um, uh, president. And, you know, he, he did quite a job. He took Brumos to another level. He was very much... Well, now, is Brumos... Because as, as, Peter Schutz, we had Peter on the show a long time ago before he... Back in the day, and Peter was telling me that Brumos was kind of like Porsche's pet dealer, kind of like they just liked Brumos and the whole way they did things, and and they, you know, kind of like the backdoor racing. Here we'll give you this, we'll give you this. So how much truth is to that? Well, I think there was a lot. You know, when they came with the Carrera to mm-hmm. Daytona in '73, and Peter and Hurley won, they gave uh, they prepared. There were, I think, three of those cars built. Two of them came to the United States. One went to Roger Penske. And one went to uh, Brumos, and they were essentially factory cars. I mean, they, they were they. In fact, so few had been made. The car, although it looked like a production 911, had to run as a uh, prototype in a prototype class. And uh, yeah, they, they were they were fair head. In fact, when Porsche got out of the kind of the GT business and they decided to go racing at Indy, uh, and a lot of the money dried up. Uh, the like the Whittington brothers were buying cars from the Kramers. And the Kramers were building some pretty spectacular uh, 935s. And Peter found himself on the outside looking in on that deal. Huh. 
Interesting. Now, was Hurley one of the owners at, at one point in time? Of uh, did he have a, a vested interest in the dealership in Brumos, or is he um, just like? Uh, I you know I don't know. I'm not the right one to answer that question. Okay, no, that's fine. That's fine. I wasn't sure. I, I just don't know. I, if, I, if I knew, I'd tell you. Okay, because I know he was. Didn't he sit on the board? He was uh, involved in yeah. management at, at Brumos. Yeah. yeah, and then and he's got an arrangement with Porsche. You know, official deal. Okay. And yeah. So between Hurley and let's say like Derek Bell, who the, are they? Probably the two winningest drivers that are still around um, for uh, Porsche. Uh, well, you got uh, Jackie Eeks, who oh, was Jackie our Eakes, two years ago. Yeah, he was Mister Lamar. That's true. And and then uh, uh, let's see, there's an eight-time winner too, um, Christensen. Okay. More, more of the uh, late ones, you know. But uh, yeah, Jackie Eeks, Derek Bell. Uh, Jochen Moss. Okay, Jochen Moss. Vic Alford. Vic, uh, Vic, I don't think Vic won Le Mans. He won Sebring. Sebring. And he won Daytona. Speaking. Like he went straight from rallying to to winning the Daytona 24 hour within weeks. We had him on the show and he was telling, and I was asking him, I said, did rally driving help you out as a road racer? And he says, yeah, because I was already pretty much comfortable with car control, so once I get on a road course, it was a piece of cake. Yeah, yeah. Were you there at Sebring in 1970 when Steve McQueen almost won? And uh, he was, they were in a 908, and he was supposed to, I think he had a, his foot was in a cast or something like that? Or how's that yeah, story he, go? Yeah, he fractured his foot in a motorcycle accident. His co-driver who drove, really, I'm not taking anything away, away from McQueen. McQueen was a good driver. Mm-hmm. But Peter Rebson carried the ball that day. Okay. And uh, it was kind of funny because uh, there were all the big manufacturers there. There was Ferrari, Porsche, Matra, Alfa Romeo. And here is Steve McQueen and Peter Rebson in a two-year-old car. And at the end of this show, I mean, you're coming up on 20 minutes from the end, all of them had broken or crashed or something had happened. And, and Matra was there with Dan Gurney and Francois Sever. And uh, I'm down in Victory Lane with waiting for the end of the race with about 20 minutes to go with Pete Byro, you know, photographer for Car and Driver. And Pete looked at me and says, wouldn't this be something all the factories in the world here and an actor wins? <laughs> <laughs> And at the time, Ignazio Gionti and Nino Vaccarello were running second in a Ferrari 512, and they, they weren't quite catching the flying Revson and McQueen. And um, uh, Mauro Frigeri pulled Andretti in, whose car had broken down, and put him in the car and says, you will win this, and Andretti came from behind. And it was about 15, 20 minutes ago, passed uh, McQueen and and won the race for Ferrari, and it was the only victory that year for Ferrari in the World Endurance Racing. Did McQueen, did they come in second? Yeah. Okay. Boy, that was close. It was It was like in the last 10, 15 minutes of the race, right? Is that yeah, yeah, yeah. Were you there in 1965 when supposedly they had such a bad rainstorm at Sebring that tires were floating away in the pit area? Yeah. No, I missed everything from about 61 to 66, because I was off oh, college. trying to get an education. <laughs> trying to get an education. <laughs> yeah. so you can ask my professors at the Citadel. They'll, they'll tell you I was, I was trying, but I wasn't real successful. <laughs> For you, you, you got into racing. So when did your racing like career kind of begin? Um, 1977, I think it was. Uh-huh. 77. And... I had the Brabham BT-8, which was 
I was, I, I was talking with Jerry Sutterfield, who was the guy who had a Porsche 917 at Gulfwind, and he was one. They were doing vintage races at Sebring starting out. I, I was either in the second one. Uh, he tells me I was in the second vintage race there, which would have been 78. And then I bought a, an ex-Bob Sharp Dotson and went to SCCA racing. I uh, went to the Nationals to try to win a national championship. Uh, finished fifth. And then I crashed real bad at Sebring the next year and ended up uh, uh, eight days in intensive care and three Ooh. months at home. So uh, Ms. Jane was not amused. <laughs> and so I quit for a year. But then when the Firehawk series started, Tom Neal, who used to run in GT in Camaros and Corvettes, said, well, let's get a Camaro and go to this new Firehawk thing. So I did, I don't know, six or eight years of that. I had a good time in that. I ran one. I was qualified for one GT race at Daytona, and then uh, uh, Tom stuffed the car, so I didn't get a chance to get in. And then, uh, I, I kind of regret that I didn't start earlier, and but I was running a business. I was in the Air Force Reserve. I had three children. When I had the big crash, it scared them. So, you know, you just make decisions based on the time. When you, uh, when you look back and you reflect on that, I mean, that was one example, um, are there races, once you got in the races, are there races that you wanted to race that you didn't get to race? I mean, did you get a chance to compete in a 24-hour or the 12-hour race? No. I, I was entered in the 24-hour in a Porsche Carrera with Lance Van Every and, uh, 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 I'll get it in a minute. Um, and uh, I crashed the two weeks before that at Sebring. So I was, I was oh, ah, that's sad. Yeah, and then uh, I was entered in a, uh, a Lancia Stratos with Toliara Tunoff and George Trolson. Oh, wow. And George went out and practiced and came in and said, this car has made about 10 attempts on my life. <laughs> I really don't want to drive it. And uh, 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 so then uh, I was supposed to get in the car, and someone had left a rag in the sump, and it starved it for oil. And... and did us all a favor by uh, cooking itself. Cooking itself. And then I was in. A, I was entered in a, a Mazda RX-7, and about three days before the race, the guy says, "Oh, by the way, if if the car is destroyed, it's yours." I said, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, wait, wait a minute." I said, "What if, what if a fuel line comes loose in the inside NASCAR one, and the uh, car burns to a crisp? Whose car is it? Oh, that's yours." I said, nah, "No, I'm not doing that." So I backed out of that deal. When you were racing, I'm going to quote something that uh, Sam Posey said on our show one time, because I asked him, I said, what goes through your mind the morning of the race? And he says, Robert, I look in the mirror. We looked in the mirror, and I was wondering if I'm ever going to brush my teeth again. Did you, <laughs> seriously, did you ever have any thoughts like that when you were getting behind the wheel of the car, getting into some of these races? No. And I have a great deal of respect for Sam. He's a good, close friend. Um I I never gave it much thought. There, there was always some sort of uh, uh, anticipation and uh, a little bit of nervousness. But mm -hmm. once things got rolling and you're in the decision-making role, it just uh, uh, you, you're you're at the task at hand. If you think, "Gosh, golly, oh gee, I could get hurt doing this," then you're not going to go very fast. And, and then then you start doing things that aren't smart. So I like to just get in the rhythm and sit back and let him. I'm, I'm much better on long distance than I ever was in a sprint race. 
sprint race. I'm a terrible qualifier, and uh, uh, I, I just like races where you just set a pace and drive along, and you know, try to use your your brain uh, to get the positions. You know, nowadays in the in the endurance racing, man, it's not endurance. Those guys go flat out all the time. When you uh, were vintage racing, um, of all the cars that you've owned, which one's mm-hmm. kind of like dearest to your heart? Uh, the, uh, two. The Brabham BT-8 was really? wonderful. Uh, it was just perfect. Uh, the only problem was you had to lay down between two 11-gallon tanks of gasoline. <laughs> that could be a sobering deal. But yeah. The, uh, the Group 44 TR6, yes. which I raced for 28 years, uh, Adam Carolla owns that car now. That was just a perfect car. It was absolutely the best balanced. Uh, it, it stopped, it handled, it was neutral. Didn't have a lot of horsepower. Had about 220 horsepower. Had a lot of torque. Uh, big girling brakes in the front, uh, drum brakes in the back. Uh, but it was, uh, it, it, it was uh, just a well-balanced car. I, I was just, uh, there's a couple of videos on YouTube of the car, and you just see it, you, you didn't work at it. You know, you're just kind of sitting in a lounge chair, just driving along. Now, is it true, because I understand that apparently before Bob Tullius got a hold of that car, that was a Paul Newman car? No, other way around. Oh, the other way around. Okay. It was built at Group 44. They had it for four years. And John McComb, well, it, it, it was in C production running against the Datsuns okay. and uh, the Porsches. And it was kind of outclassed. It was a little, you know, big cast iron block engine in the front. But it was, it, no one drove it like, like Bob Tullius drove it. It, it was, he was really good. Then they decided, well, Triumph came up and they wanted that, uh, they weren't selling TR6s anymore. They wanted to sell TR7s. So Group 44 had to build a TR7 and they sold the, the, uh, well, John McComb had won the D production national championship. They moved it from C production to D production. And the funny thing was they went to the SCCA and the SCCA says, well, you got to take that Lucas fuel injection off if you don't run D production and put Strombergs on it. Well, they'd already tested it with the Strombergs. It made just as much horsepower as it did with the fuel injection. And, of course, they go into that, oh, please don't throw me in the briar patch. We can't run Strombergs. And the SCCA and their arrogance says, yes, you will run the Strombergs. <laughs> well, the car was just as fast, you know. So it won deep production. Then, they, then Newman wanted to go racing, and they said, well, why don't you buy a car that has a track record, you know, something that's good. So they, he bought the Group 44 TR6. And then uh, his partner was Tommy Ciccone, and I bought it from him. Okay. All right. Um, the uh, John McComb, is he the guy that used to race uh, with Carroll Shelby, or uh, used to yeah. race with Shelby back in the 70s, uh, 60s, yeah. Yeah, 68 Trans Am car? Yeah, that's him. Okay. Interesting. Good driver. You know, it's amazing how, I was talking earlier about how the car community, the race community, how it's just kind of like a close-knit group, and it's like, every time you go to these major events, let's say like you go to Amelia Island, or you go to Monterey, or you go to SEMA, or you go to Scottsdale, it's like a constant, continuous family reunion. And you've been very instrumental in having some most, very amazing people show up at your particular event. In fact, more so than probably any other event that I go to. I mean, it's... That's uh, because we focus on people. So many car shows focus on the cars. mm Mm-hmm. And they miss the point that the cars are the glue. 
it's it's about people. You come to Amelia Island, and you know there was Rick Mears, Rusty Wallace, Roger Penske, uh, Hurley Haywood, Brian Redmond, uh, uh, David Hobbs. Um, where else are you going to see those people in one place? That's true. That's true. Well, Bill, you've done an amazing uh, job with uh, with Amelia Island. You know, congratulations again on the 25th anniversary. We are up against the clock. I want to thank you very much for coming on our show and celebrating our 10 year anniversary. I'm just thrilled to have you on the show. You're a super guy. Uh, hopefully, it'll be another 25 years of Amelia Island. And you'll be. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. I'll be 103 then or something. But I'll give it a shot. But congratulations on your 10th anniversary. It's. Uh, you, I, I, I know it's. Uh, it's always a challenge, but it's always fun too, isn't it? It is. It is. And like I said, you've been very instrumental in helping me get some amazing guests on my show. So again, I want to thank you very much, and congratulations to you. And again, thank you for coming on our show this evening. Thank you, Robert. Thank you all for the folks in the listening area in Tampa Bay for supporting us up here at Amelia. Okay, Bill. Take care, and we'll see you uh, soon. Right. Thank you. Thank you very much. Bye. Hey, guys, I want to thank all my listeners for tuning in to Nostalgic Green Cars, the 10-year anniversary. We've done it, guys, 10 years. It's an amazing deal, amazing run, some amazing people, just amazing stories. Keep tuning in to Nostalgic Green Cars every Tuesday night right here on the Tantalk Radio Network. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Don't forget to check out our website, GolfStreetMotorsports.com. Bobby, you want to say something real quick? Yep, NostalgicRadioCars.com. Use hashtag uh, NRC10 on all your social media. And we might even make some T-shirts with that logo on it. Yes, we will. Tommy, I want to thank you very much. You've done a great job. You've been with us for, what, a couple of years now, too, I guess, something like that. Tommy's a great uh, production engineer. Bobby, again, you've done a great yep. job. Congratulations on uh, your, gradu- your graduation here at uh, UCF. Yes. And, hey, I want you guys to get out, drive your cars, drive your motorcycles, drive your boats, drive everything. Just get out and drive. I want to see you guys at, uh, well, I'd say some of the car shows, but uh, we'll see you on the road. But and thanks I mean, for listening. Yes, thank you very much for listening. Uh, any holidays coming up here? Oh, happy, yeah. well, I don't know. Mommy's yeah. Day was just a couple <laughs> days ago. So to all the buzzers and listeners. In the meantime, everybody, stay safe, drive carefully, and love your family. Keep tuning in. One, bring off to, to the other side. WTAN, Clearwater, FM 106.1, WDCF, Dade City, FM 102.3, WZHR, Zephyr Hills, FM 104.3. Listen.